Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about Korah, as that's the name of our portion this week. Um, But before we get into that, I really felt like Leslie's prayer towards the end really fell in line with what I feel like the message the Lord wanted to convey to us today is about uh, not getting sucked in by all that surrounds us, all these heavy burdens, um, fear, anger, angst. Uh, there's emotions uh, are riding high right now, and they have been for a long time. And it's it's tiresome. I mean... I don't know about you, but I'm a little weary with uh, with this. I'd, I'd like uh, to see the second half of 2020 be a lot different than the first half. <laughs> right? We're halfway through. And, you know, because the reality is that we're in a, a trying time. We're in a very trying time. There's many challenges we're facing on multiple fronts as a nation, and no one really is left untouched by what's taking place. Right? There's financial hardship, there's racial hardship, there's uh, sickness, right? And I'm not even listing everything, right? There's all kinds of things. And so when we look out, we see chaos, we see that illness, we see division, we see, we see uh, shame and accusation, you know, being tossed about quite a bit, contempt. There's concern about schemes and wickedness in the world. There's a whole host of things, right? So with all this, it puts us in a position of being at greater risk of getting sucked into that and, and letting our mind get carried away into a, into a place of, of offense, of skepticism, criticality, harsh judgment, right? It's where we actually could end up being uh, divided further and actually be sources of division, right? And it's, is it a is it a trap, right? Is it a snare or a stumbling block to us? And um, and I think it is, right? All those things being thrown at us continually. If we drink it all in, then we will be subject to to being brought down by it. Is it because we have to renew our minds in things that are good, right? When you think about our composition, right? We're made up of flesh, soul, and spirit, right? The soul being like the, the mind and the intellect. Okay, the mind can have be set on the things of the flesh or on the things of the spirit, right? The more we get drawn into the things of the world and all these cares and fears, the more our eyes look to the flesh, which is where our weakness is. Right, as opposed to taking a step back and breathing and saying, Okay, what is the Lord saying? What is the hope we have in Him? What is the hope in the restoration He brings? And now I can actually set my soul on those things, on the Spirit which gives life, uh, and not to that which sows discord. And 
you know, when we have our our soul position on the things of the Spirit, good fruit will come from it. When it's from the focused on the flesh, we could see that we could actually be, become we could actually become those who tear down instead of those who build up. Now, you may say, "Wait a minute, Chris. You know, the anger that I have, it's a righteous anger. I see the wickedness. I'm calling it out. Mine's born out of righteousness, right? And so, yeah, I mean, and and that's a valid." statement. I'm not saying that's not a valid statement. It is valid. But there's also a point at which that can go from just righteous anger into sinful anger. Right? I speak from experience. (laughs) And uh, I feel like every time, like, uh, so this was the message that I felt this morning we were to share. And I find that often a message that I'll get is one that the Lord's smacking me for something that I did earlier in the week. <laughs> so I get to share that with you all too, right? So yes, preaching to myself and, and to you, right? So, um, okay. So there's a point at which we can actually cross over from righteous anger into sinful anger. There's a point where we can cross over from, you know, talking about what is true to actually then begin slandering uh, what's going on and speaking evil and causing division. So we have to guard our hearts and our minds and we do always pursue the truth and we pursue goodness, but we need to base that from a, from a foundation of love, right? And peace, seeking to be peacemakers, right? Now that is going to look different at all at different times. Okay. But when, if we find ourselves being drawn into something that doesn't feel right. That's where we've got to say, we've got to step back. We've got to check ourselves, right? Um, take a breath, regroup. Kind of like if you're in an argument. It's a really good thing to step back, take a few breaths, get the blood pressure down, and then engage in a better state of mind, right? All right. So within all that, you know, we have this story in this week's Parsha about a rebellion that was brought up by, by Korah and a few others. And, you know, this is now several weeks where we've seen trials come upon the children of Israel as they're in the wilderness. Right? We've seen complaining. We've seen slander. We've seen uh, an evil report from the spies. And we keep saying, well, how is it that the children of Israel keep failing? Right? We've been talking about that, and now you have another rebellion, and you have multiple failures happening again in this week's portion. But, you know, if we take a look at the conditions and the situation that they were in, objectively, we can see that they were in trying times in the wilderness, right? The children of Israel had failed to enter the land because of the evil report, believing the evil report, and now everyone 20 years and older has been told that they are going to die in the wilderness and they're not going to get the land that was promised. They were on the brink of getting it, and now they have no hope of getting it. Now their children have a hope for it, so they have something to work for. But still you can imagine that there had to be some disappointment and disillusion. Saying, what are we here for? Why are we going through this wilderness? Um, And so there's probably anger and fear. There were certainly questions and skepticism about Moses. Was he really 
leading them the right way. There was accusations about what his motives were. We see that in this week's Pasha. We're going to read some of that. But we have a lot of the same components. Things weren't going the way that the children of Israel wanted. Right? And that can breed discontent. So we're going to talk about the rebellion. Our portion, again, is called Korah, and it's named after the leader of the rebellion. So we're going to read Numbers 16, 1 through 4. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and the son of and, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with the number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Then Moses heard it, and he fell on his face. So here you have Korah. Now in this first verse, it says that these men, they, that they took men. If you read in the Hebrew, that's not exactly what it says. In the Hebrew, it actually it says that Korah took, and then it says and Dathan and Abiram and On. Okay, it didn't say what he took. It just said took, which is a little bit of a, a strange thing, right? Because normally you would say what someone took rather than just they took. So if you read multiple translations, you're going to see something different, like uh, Korah separated himself, or Korah took action, or, you know, in this case, Korah took men. The translators often try to say, well, what was it that Korah was really taking? Right? And there's really a number of things that he was taking. I mean, each of those are right. He took men, he took action, uh, he separated himself, right? But it's interesting that the Torah mentions it doesn't share what he took specifically. Now, Korah was questioning the authority of Moses and, and of Aaron's position as the high priest, and he did bring people along with him to do it. Now, a little background on Korah. Uh, here in the scripture, it says that he is a son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Levi had three sons. And those um, each had a different part assigned to them, to their families, in the keeping of the tabernacle. And the Kohathites were given the responsibility of, of carrying the holy things. Right. So they had a high honor. Um, now, this, he was the son of Izhar. He was actually the firstborn of Izhar. And Izhar was the secondborn of Kohath. Okay, so Kohath had four sons. His first was Amram. His second was his har. Okay. Amram, of course, had Aaron and Moses and Miriam, right? And then Ishar had uh, Korah. So Korah was a cousin, a close cousin of Moses and Aaron. And Korah, according to uh, tradition, was very rich. He, uh, he's said to have found one of three treasures that Joseph hid in Egypt. So anyway, he was very wealthy. He was... Uh, as a firstborn, was in a high position, okay, but he didn't have uh, he didn't have the highest standing, right? And even within the family of of, of Kohath, the Kohathites, 
he was not the prince among that group, even though you might think it would be logical for him to be the prince, since, you know, Amram, that line had been separated out with Moses and Aaron, right? And then um, then with Izhar, here you've got the next born is Korah. But the prince of the Kohathites was um, a son from the fourth child of, of Kohath. So there's some speculation that that was also a source of tension for him as, as opposed to like, you should have, you should have an honor as a, as the prince of the Kohathites, but you don't, it was given to a child of a, of a younger brother. So there's multiple reasons that Korah could have felt slighted or passed over, but that was the whole thing. There was something in him that he was focused on that caused him to rise up and say, Look, things aren't being done right. I'm not comfortable with Moses saying that he should be the leader. I'm not comfortable with Aaron taking the position of the high priest. That's nepotism. Right now, this is speculation, right? But there was something stirring within him that caused him to step up and and challenge what he had what he had seen revealed through God, right? About Moses being the the chosen. Uh, prophet unto the nation. So in Numbers 16, 8, let's read, it says, And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? <clears throat> now, in, if you recall back in verse 4, the scripture said that Moses fell on his face when Korah came to him. Right? Moses had every reason to, to bow up in that situation when you think about it, right? Here's somebody coming to challenge his authority that's been clearly stated by God, where he has really given his life to the service of God and to the, um, to the salvation of the nation, right? The redemption of the nation. Never asking for anything in return for what he had done. And now he's being challenged as to what his intentions and motives are. And his response is one of humility, right? I don't know how many people would respond that way, right? Most people would take offense and say, wait a minute, who are you? What have you done? Look what I've done. God's chosen me, right? But Moses falls on his face and doesn't lash out. Now, he does give them a warning, right? He says, it's too much for you. You know, was it not enough? that God put you in this high station of drawing you to himself so that you could serve, and yet you're seeking the priesthood also? And one of the questions that comes up is, well, was was Korah wrong to desire the priesthood? Was Korah wrong to, des- to desire the priesthood? So there's a, a story, <clears throat> there's a midrash, that Moses responded to Korah and the men, and he says, among the religions of the world, there are various customs, and they, do, and they do not all gather in the same house of worship. We, however, have but one God, one Torah, 
one law, one priest, or one high priest, and one sanctuary. Yet you, 250 men, all desire the high priesthood. I too desire it. And that's interesting that, you know, this, this story would say that Moses said he too desires it. So I believe this was the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was, was talking about this. And he says, if Moses, who personifies the divine attribute of truth, said, I too desire it, you know, and, and saying this in more than a debating tactic, then Moses truly desired the position of high priest for himself. So that means that Korah's desire for the highest spiritual state attainable by man was in and of itself a positive thing. He was desiring closeness to God and service of God. But the difference between Korah and Moses in this was that Korah acted upon this desire in defiance of God's desire. Whereas Moses may have desired it, but according to God's will, he said, my brother's going to take the position. Right? So again, humbling himself and not saying, well, why shouldn't I have it? But then Korah sought to take what was not his, whereas Moses gave according to what God's desire was. So, you know, a question that Diego asked on Thursday night was, you know, why is our portion named Korah, you know, when Korah acted out of wickedness, and normally you would not honor a name that is wicked. I don't know if you actually answered the question in the evening. Okay, so uh, the according to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, what he says is that the the Parsha's name was okay to be given to Korah because it was a recognition and a tribute to the positive aspect of Korah's desire to seek closeness to God. Isn't that interesting? To take a look at that which was good despite the bad. And so he notes that while the story of Korah comes to teach us what not to do, not to act on even the most lofty of ambitions if such action is contrary to the will of God, it also comes to teach us that we should desire and yearn for the highest ideals, even those which we may be prohibited from actually attaining. Why? Because it's still a high ideal. It's still something great. And Paul talks about, you know, everybody should desire the gifts. Even if you don't have one of the gifts, it's not wrong to desire it. You know, that you should desire to prophesy because that can be something of, of edification to the body and, and of drawing near to the Lord. So it's a good thing to desire the things of God, but then to say, okay, Lord, what are you calling me to? What are you giving into my hands? Now I'll walk in that and not go and try to take that which I would be taking outside of God's will. So the, the, big, the big contrast between Moses and Korah here was how they went about their service of the Lord and walking in the gifts and the calling that he's given them. So earlier I mentioned that our soul can be focused on the flesh or it can be focused on the spirit, right? Korah, and what he was doing was, was focusing on the flesh. He was looking at what he didn't have, right, and desiring more. Now there was a spiritual component of it too, but he was also... Uh, he was also acting out of the fleshly desire in that he came at this whole thing seeking his own honor and ego, right? He came to Moses 
saying that Moses was acting out of line, right? And that he was taking too much upon himself and that he was elevating himself over the people, even though all the people were holy unto the Lord, right? Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? There's the accusation. That was a fleshly accusation that he was bringing. And we see more of that coming from... Um, from Dathan and Abiram. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if I have that here. I do. Okay. <laughs> Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. The accusations and the rewriting of history here really ought to be striking. You know, it's shocking. They say, you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey, attributing what God describes the promised land to the land of their slavery. Right? Their mind had been given over to wickedness, right? <laughs> that they would believe such a statement. And then that they would say, you know, you brought us out here to kill us, and that you want to, you've made yourself a prince over us. And then said, you didn't, you didn't bring us to our inheritance. Like, what? <laughs> I tried. I begged you to go up and take it and to repent, but you didn't do it. But it's still my fault. Okay. Right? And then then they even say, Will you put out the eyes of these men? Or they or in some translations it says, even if you were to put out the eyes of these men, we won't come up. Either way, they're now attributing great heinous acts to what Moses could do. You know, it, it really goes beyond what you can uh, really understand. At least we're not what I can understand. I mean, all I know is they were given over to a depraved mind as they as they fed their soul, fed their feasted their eyes on the things of the flesh and what they didn't have, and seeking someone to blame and and going into that. So. Within the aspect of the flesh, okay, so the flesh desires to be honored and respected. It wants to argue. It wants to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. It does not like authority. It's nourished by conflict and drama. And it always wants what it doesn't have. It's a, The flesh, then, is pre, <laughs> predisposed to take. Predisposed to take. But the spirit is prone to give, right? The Spirit's prone to give, and it desires connection with God. And it acts out of love and peace and kindness. Those are the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so, all right, so we go on. We see what's happening. But Moses, again, had every right to be offended by what Dathan and Abiram just said. But his response wasn't to lash out at them. His response went right to the Lord. Right? He went right to the Lord with his concern and asked for the Lord 
to vindicate him. Right? He was very angry. But he went to the Lord and said, do not respect their offering. And then he said, I haven't taken even one thing from them. Everything I've done is out of selflessness and out of desire to see goodness for the nation. So he makes his case before the Lord and asks the Lord to vindicate him. Right? That's trust. That's trust. Okay, so let's go forward to see what the Lord's response was in number 16, starting in verse 16. Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they, and Aaron tomorrow, and let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will you be angry with all the congregation? I have to just stop there. And again, Moses' response was one of crying out for mercy, even in the face of this uprising against him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. And I'll just stop there, too. Again, there's an admonition of do not associate yourself with those who are walking in wickedness and who will bring you down to the pit with them, right? That's, that's what he was saying. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram, and Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. So the Lord sent judgment on Korah, Dathan, and Abram, and then also upon the 250 men who offered incense before the Lord who were not authorized to do so. So it said, the scripture said that Korah and all that he had went down with him alive into Sheol, right, into the grave. And what ends up happening, you know, Korah took nothing with him. He lost everything. So he set out to take what wasn't his, and he took nothing. And that would be my guess as to why there was 
nothing, you know, the Lord didn't tell us what Korah took in verse 1. Korah took, but he took nothing. Right? Took nothing because it wasn't his to take. But you know what? This really wasn't the end, right? I mean, we see here that judgment came, and we see that Korah and his all his belongings have been taken down into the pit, but that really wasn't the end of the story for Korah. I mean, he was done, but his sons lived. Now, when we read this passage, it sounds as though Korah and his sons and everything that he had, his whole family, went down into the pit, but his sons did not. His sons lived. And there's uh, there's other scriptures, I actually don't have them referenced here, that, that speak of the sons of Korah. Specifically in 1 Corinthians 6, it goes through a, uh, a genealogy of, of Korah going down all the way to the prophet Samuel. Interestingly enough, Samuel, the prophet, was a descendant of Korah. And Korah's sons wrote many of the Psalms. Okay, so Korah's sons went on to do great things. And it's you say, well, how is it that they lived? Right, because... You know, did they rise up against their father and say, we're not with you? You know, or did they did they repent? And there there is a Midrash that talks about that. And the very thing that they, they debated and said, you know, if we stand up and move away from our father, then we're disrespecting our father. But also here Moses has just come up. He's approached. Now, do we not rise in the presence of our elder? And so they had a, debate what do we do and and the sages say that they that they did rise they made the decision to rise before moses and in that they were spared so they, but it, what it, what the key answer there is that there was there was a desire to honor the lord there was a repentance that they had to say okay moses is is good and upstanding we should we should rise for him so they they lived on So they were ones. They were one of those who heeded the call to get away from Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Okay, so moving on from this. So now you've got the repentance of Korah's sons. Um, they've survived along with the majority of the congregation. It's really just the two hundred fifty men have have perished along with Korah, Dathan, and Abram. But now the next day. The children of Israel, again, were upset, right? Because they could look and they could see that the ground opened up and took Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And there's no way they could say, okay, Moses, you did that, right? Because that was clearly the hand of God that, that took them. But then there's the 250 men who died by fire. So scripture says, but on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. You know how many times the glory of the Lord appears in all these stories? Man, it'd be something to see, but I'd like seeing it under different circumstances. Uh, <laughs> um... And so he appeared, and Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces again. They fell on their faces. 
Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the living or the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. So in this, right, the incense offering, the people understood that the 250 died because they brought incense before the Lord and they were not authorized to do it, just as Nadab and Abihu had suffered the same fate with bringing incense that they weren't allowed to bring. And so now the people blame Moses for instructing them to bring censers before the Lord. Right? So they said, you killed these 250 men. And, and it, within this too, there's, there's a fear that the people begin to have of the incense offering. And the thing is, the incense offering was not to be feared. It was part of what God had prescribed. It's just that it needed to be done in the way that God prescribed it. And so Moses told Aaron to go and bring an incense offering. Because there was still, this was the time of the morning offerings, right? The incense was offered twice a day, morning and afternoon. And it was at this time that offering was brought, but it hadn't been brought by Aaron. So Moses said, bring it as it's intended to be brought. He brings it and it brings... Well, it brings healing, right? It, it stops the plague. So it actually brought life when done according to God's ways and what his desired intention was, whereas done the wrong way, it brings death. And I was struck by the story of Aaron and, and what he did and how he ran into the midst of the congregation and stood between the dead and the living to halt the plague. And in reading about the incense offering and what it was to do, right, there's various theories of, of what was the purpose of this smoke that would arise twice a day. You know, some, some said, well, it was to bring a pleasing or a good aroma because of all the sacrifices that were being done, right? I mean, it might be a place that doesn't smell all that good, part of their theory. But others said, no, 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 it's not just about covering any kind of thing like that. Instead, it's someone has brought an offering to the Lord. They brought their spirit before the Lord, but then there's still the odor of their flesh. And so this is to cover the odor of the flesh. Right? It's like, okay, that's one. And another one. But others said also that this was really about creating a bond with God. That this was the smoke rising was another way of creating a bond with God, the one who's bringing it. And so with Aaron going out there in the midst of the people who were dying... Yes, Diego. But, uh, I mean, I'm just wondering, it wouldn't make sense because the, uh, the I was just wondering, because it wouldn't make sense if the second place were done outside and the incense were done inside yeah. the temple. Yeah. So the smell will be outside. That was okay to bring the incense outside to feel the smell. Totally. Okay. Just so put it inside the building. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's actually on for the people hearing. But so what Diego's like, that doesn't make sense that it could be for the smell. Uh, 
because the sacrifice is done outside and the incense offering is inside the tabernacle. I totally agree. Doesn't make sense. Just sharing uh, some of the stories. <laughs> some of the things that people have said, right? But <clears throat> in the aspect of this, the spiritual view of this was that it was an aspect of creating a bond between God and the people. So when you look at Aaron, the high priest, the only one, the anointed one of the Lord, running out in the midst of the congregation, in the midst of the people, and offering and an, making an offering to the Lord that would bring a bond between the people and God, and that would save them from death. You have a picture there of Yeshua, right? Who came in the midst of the people, the anointed one of the Lord, and offered himself standing between the living and the dead, that he might bring a people to God and create a bond between God and man. So, I love it. It's just a great picture of life. Now, I mentioned before that Korah's descendants went on to do great things. Right? The, the story did not end with the judgment that came on Korah. And we mentioned Samuel being a descendant of Korah. And he is regarded as being as great or likened unto Moses and Aaron in his day. You know, for the, for the, like, okay, so Moses and Aaron were great in the midst of an assembly that had been brought to the mountain, you know, and at a high state of spirituality and brought into the presence of God, heard the voice of God. They were great among a great nation. Um, and so then, you know, even the, uh, sages talk about how Abraham, you know, was great in the midst of a sinful people. So the greatness was measured in relation to the world as it was at the time. And so Samuel was regarded as great like unto Moses and Aaron for his day and age. So <clears throat> really a great and highly respected and regarded individual. Now, within our Haftar reading, which I don't, I don't have here, uh, the Haftar reading focused on the time when the children of Israel were asking for a king. Samuel had become old. He had been a prophet and judge to them. And now he was appointing his sons to be uh, the judges going forward. But the people are asking for a king. And Samuel's warning them about that. And within all of this process, he says, you know, have you know? Give give testimony today. Have I have I ever taken anything from you, right? And so he he's actually almost in the position of Moses here, in this case where God has chosen prophets and judges for the people, but the people aren't accepting that. They're asking for something that they want, right? So just like Moses was being challenged with what the people wanted, now Samuel is being challenged with what the people wanted. And in both cases, neither Moses nor Samuel ever did anything for their own accord, but they did everything for the people, for the good of the people. <clears throat> I find it interesting that it would be Korah's offspring that would then be receiving such a similar challenge. Very interesting. But the thing is that what, it was, what also stood out to me in this was even though Korah's life went really wrong, there was still hope for the future. There was still good that was to come. His children had something to look forward to. And that's because God can redeem and God can restore 
even when things aren't going the way that we want them to, even when it looks like the end has come or there's despair, there's hope for the future. And it comes through repentance, forgiveness, healing, and restoration. Right? All these things came at the hand of God through Moses and Aaron's intercession. They come today through the intercession of Yeshua and the provision that he has and that he intercedes for us before the Father. So what, what should we be doing? Looking to our flesh to solve our, our problems, sowing to that, or should we be going to the Lord and saying, Lord, hear our prayer, forgive our sins, come and vindicate us, Lord, stand, bring healing, Bring your restoration, because there is this hope for the future. And, you know, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it's a verse that's often often quoted, right? For it's an encouragement. And this was an encouragement that was given to, uh, to Israel when they were in exile. Okay, and Jeremiah says to them, speaking from the Lord, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Right, so today... You know, the children of Israel still remain in exile. We still, we are still in a form of exile waiting for Messiah's return. Because it, when he's not here in the flesh, there's an exile. We're waiting for the restoration. And when we look at this, you know, the children of Israel who were um, in, in captivity at this time, who were in exile, things weren't going well. You know, they could look around and see evil. And they could even be in a place of not having hope. But God still said, even in that time, I have plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. And he calls us to seek him with all of our heart and that he, he will be found by us. He didn't say, seek, uh, seek all the problems with all your heart. <laughs> Try to find all the ways that things are wrong with all your heart. You'll find them. You know, what you seek with all your heart, you're going to find. Are you going to seek God with all your heart? Because that's what he says the solution is when you sit in exile, when you see evil and wickedness about. Because he's the solution. He's the one who brings the solution, who brings the healing and the restoration. But we need endurance along the way. We can't grow weary. We can, if we just look at the flesh, right? But we will gain new strength when we focus on the Lord, when we set our eyes on him. And we know that he will overcome. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We need the Spirit to wage that battle. Right? And it says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. That verse to me says a lot. Because it says, 
stand in the evil day, and having done everything, stand. It's like, stand, and when you finish standing, stand. <laughs> Don't stop. It's in, it takes endurance to do that, right? So stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Yeah, amen. So, I was thinking today as well about another story with Yeshua. I think it's pertinent. So John the Immerser was in prison. He was wrongly imprisoned for speaking out the truth. He spoke the truth and was thrown in prison for it. And, and John sent people to speak with Yeshua. In Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent words by his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Yeshua answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What was Yeshua talking about when he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me? Right? So John was asking, are you the one, are you the coming one? Are you the one who's going to set the prisoners free? I'm in prison. Am I coming out of prison? And Yeshua says, yes, there's all this darkness. He didn't actually say, yes, there's all this darkness, right? But he doesn't even look at the darkness. He says, look at all the good that's happening that stand as testimony that, yes, I am the coming one. And, yes, there is prison, there are prisoners being set free. But I'm not talking about the physical prisoner. I'm not talking about you coming out of jail right now. And you're blessed if you're not offended that I'm not doing it the way you think it should be or want it to be right now. Right? That you can see that, yes, Yeshua is saying, yes, I am the coming one. But it's... It's not exactly like what you think. Now, can you accept that and walk in it, even though it's a hard thing to hear and to walk in? Blessed are you who's not offended. Because John had a choice to be offended and say, well, no, 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 no. I think the Messiah is going to do, is going to get me out of this jail. You must not be the one, right? I believe John held on and did not take offense at him. But, it, but again, he had a choice, just as we do today. To say, okay, I may not understand all the things that are going on. I may desire to see things change quickly. I may desire to see justice come in whatever form or fashion I, I think is right. You know, But ultimately, we have to bring it to the Lord in prayer and petition and trust in Him and not be dragged down. Not to be focused on this flesh, focused on the chaos, focus, you know, not to be focused on those things, not to give in to offense, but instead to look up, right, for there is hope. And that hope can be renewed each morning. 
right? It's are we going to join in and renew our minds and choose to, to look up, not denying again, you know, what is going on, but not having that be our fixation, not having that be our focus, not allowing that to really drive whether or not our spirit can flourish. Because if we're feasting on the things that bring down the world and looking for the bad, how are we going to see the good? How are we going to hear the voice of the Lord who's showing us a new thing, who is calling us to go do some other thing, showing us where to give as opposed to where we desire to take? So may we be those who spread the light, who give hope, who encourage others, and not fall into the trap that I and others I'm sure have fallen into from time to time. So, but then that's the thing too, guys. We see it and say, okay, yeah, we've done that. The answer is to repent and to turn from that and say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep engaging that. Instead, I'm going to turn to the light and I'm going to be a light and a source for others. And we can do that with the strength of the Lord. Amen. Does anybody else have anything that you wanted to share? That does. Yeah, um, what Jamie was saying is that Korah wasn't seeking first the kingdom of God and all the righteousness. You know, and that's why that's why it wouldn't fulfill. Is that, yeah. He, again, Moses was giving everything for the people. Korah was taking unto himself while saying he was doing it for the people. He's like, look how holy they are. Everyone's holy. I should be the priest and the leader. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah, there were ulterior motives that corrupted what could have been a, a good desire. Right? Anyone else? I think it just really struck me when you were talking about Cora's sons and how that must have looked to look upon your father, knowing that he had this like probably really pure desire, but then you know whatever happened and it went south, and to to have to choose sides on where you're going to stand because Psalm twenty seven ten says you know um, even if my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will hold me close. I'm just kind of wondering about like the honoring your father moment and your, you know, or like, I don't know, it was just a very um, strong picture when you were talking about it, how that was, and then thinking about the generations after them, um, and even in our own lives, how it's applicable today, like how the decisions we make affect, you know, I don't know, it's just, I'm wondering about their relationship and how they stayed the course to honor God, even if their father so many things a whirlwind thinking about it yeah absolutely and it, it is a lot to to think on and and really it illustrates too that our the decisions we make can bring death or they can bring life right and and the their decision to repent or to stand with the lord brought about many lives and and great glory to god right through their descendants who, who served faithfully <clears throat> It shows, too, that sometimes the commandments have to be prioritized, right? Like we've talked about Yeshua and some of the things he said about the Sabbath, and people can take those to mean that he didn't honor the Sabbath. And, um, Maybe that is what. 
but that he was prioritizing um, one commandment over the other. He was showing how to put them in order. And so they were standing at that moment of like, I have two commandments. How do I put them in order here? Mm -hmm. And also, I think that the situation shows like the true humility of Moses, because how many times had he saved all the people by this point? Like the golden calf, God was ready to do away with all of them. And he was the one who stood between them. And I think there were other times after that, Mm -hmm. but he didn't bring it up at this point. Like, what are you talking about? You would be dead right now if I hadn't stood between you and God. Right. Yeah. Were Were the people really aware how many times Moses stood before the Lord and kind of interceded for them? There would have been temptation to yeah. go, hey guys, remember what I did? Yeah. 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 I, mean, I don't know, because you yeah. read it in the scriptures, but were the people aware that, hey, God, Moses is petitioning for you so that he doesn't wipe you off the face of the earth. Right. You know, so it's almost, it's like, show the guy some honor. Yeah. <laughs> or the respect. Yeah, I don't know if they knew how many times he had saved them. Yeah. Right, just like right. we really don't know how many times uh, we've been saved from ourselves. Yes, I know there have been times I've been saved mm-hmm. from myself. So when the when the, all the two hundred fifty went up with the incense, didn't did, were you saying that Moses went and um, spoke on their behalf, but God still took them out? Yes. Um, so when Moses. Well, it's unclear as to who all God was talking about wiping out when he says, I'm going to wipe out this congregation. It may have just been that assembly of 250 men. And so it's possible, yes, that he asked for them to be spared. Um, and so God did not have their fate be to go down alive in the shield, but rather to be consumed by the holy fire. So they still, they still uh, perished, but they didn't receive the same fate which was a worse fate of, I mean, fate, a worse out, it was a worse outcome for Korah, Dathan, and Abraham than it was for the 250. So the 250 did have some degree of being spared, though they, their lives were still terminated. Yeah. Extinguished, let's say that. Does that make sense? Yes, but then more questions come, you know, about well, where did they go? Where did they go? You know, since they went to Sheol. Well, we can talk about Well, they, they, they all went to Sheol. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, so that was a great question of like, well, did they go to a different place? And that can be a deep rabbit hole because Sheol is the holding place for all spirits who have passed, and it has multiple compartments in it. It has Gehenna, and then it has Paradise, and it's said to potentially have a couple of other chambers. And so, anyway, there's. Uh, they all went there. But where within there did they go? Is a question. Don't know. Um, okay. I was, I was thinking about how you said, well, don't they know how many times they've been assessed for them, you know? But I think also, too, Moses realized, kind of like a child, like, they don't know what they're doing. Like, you know, like sometimes when your kid says something, it's like, excuse them for a second. Because yeah. So also, too, when Yeshua was on the cross, right, and he's there, um, what's it called? Well, he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's like speaking to where they're at. Like, they have no clue, like, here's what's going on behind the scenes or what I'm really doing. Does that make sense? You know, because so many times 
And like when you read, it's like children of Israel. Like they really are children of Israel, <laughs> so to speak. You know? Or I just, it just came up to me. Because I thought the same thing. Like, Man, these people don't get it. They've seen it so many times. Yeah. But even like a child, you've got to keep telling them and keep. Even, even when they've fallen off the chair and you've got to tell them again, I told you not to sit, you know. Yeah, it's interesting too, you know, like all the times that the glory of the Lord would appear. And, uh, you know, I think each time there was some there was some outcome that wasn't good for a certain group of people whenever the glory of the Lord would show up in these cases. But I don't think, you know, I don't think the people fully understood just how bad that could have been for a larger number of people, right? So they probably didn't have the full fear of the Lord that they should have when the glory appeared. So when they went down to Sheol, they became aware, they became aware of the fear of the Lord. Yeah, right. <laughs> Anybody else? All right, let's, let's pray and then we'll have some announcements. So Lord, we give you glory and thanks. We give you praise. And we ask you to Touch our hearts, Lord, to soften our hearts. Lord, we ask you to minister your love and your peace to us. Lord, in areas where we've experienced anger and angst and contention and strife, Lord, we ask you to come and minister to us in those places. Bring us out of those thoughts, out of those burdens, Lord. Help us to see through the chaos and into that which is good in your plans and purposes. Lord, help our eyes to be fixed on you, to fix our our eyes, our soul on the things of the Spirit. Lord, that we may experience your refreshing and your newness and your life. And Lord, we look to the day when we do see your righteousness manifest on the earth, when we see your good, good plans and purposes worked out. We call for righteousness. We call for justice we we ask for more of your kingdom to come in this place or we ask for your covering over our families our your protection and your provision in these days lord we ask uh, specifically for for healing for the jaffies lord for your touch for all those who who uh are experiencing any kind of illness in our communities lord we ask uh, for your healing to go forth we ask you to halt the the virus lord and the spread of it lord that it that all of the schemes of the enemy would be would be put asunder lord that you would be glorified that your uh, name would be made great we ask for wisdom and discernment for our leaders lord that they would uh, make good decisions that they will truly seek to serve the people lord not for the glory of any one but for the good of, of the nation, for, for your purposes, Lord. We ask you these things and we bless your name in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.